Welcome to Feeding Frenzy, a podcast brought to you by the Breastfeeding Resource Center. The BRC is a nonprofit organization in Abington, Pennsylvania. We're here to provide support on various parenting topics to help you get through the roller coaster ride of parenting. I'm your host, Colette Acker. Let's take this journey together. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Feeding Frenzy. I'm here today with Liz Brooks, and I've known Liz for quite a while. Both she and I are international board-certified lactation consultants, and we met back in 1997. At that time, the world of lactation consultants had various backgrounds, so we didn't start our careers by saying, I want to be a lactation consultant. Many of us had other careers, and then we started our families, and that's when we became passionate about breastfeeding. So the older generation IBCLCs, I'm sorry, Liz, but that's us, were typically something else before we became lactation consultants. So Liz Brooks, welcome. Why don't you tell me what you were doing before you became an IBCLC? Thank you, Ms. Collette Acker. Yes, we have known each other since we had littles. Um, and we now have adult children. I was a lawyer before I became a stay-at-home mom. Um, I have kept my lawyer's license active all of the years since I originally got it in 1983, mostly for the vanity of it. I couldn't bear the thought of not being able to say I was a lawyer, even though I wasn't actively practicing. And you did a lot of work to become a lawyer. A you want to keep that going. Exactly. Don't blame you. So... How did you spin your knowledge and experience as a lawyer into your lactation work? Well, what came first was the lactation work. Um, I had kids. I went to parent support groups. That segued into me wanting to learn a little bit more about lactation and lactation advocacy. I would hear my friends come in and tell stories of what you know their pediatricians had said. I was like, that's not right. And it really super annoyed me that new parents were being sold a bill of goods about what they could and couldn't do with regard to breastfeeding and frankly parenting in general. So I became a lactation consultant all the while, keeping my um, lawyer's license active and said in my own head, well, this is cute, but it's a, you know, a divergence in the road. I will never be a lawyer again. But uh, ironically, it, everything came full circle and I now uh, teach and lecture and write on ethics and legal matters impacting lactation consultants specifically, but those who are advocates in the breastfeeding world generally. And that has been a wonderful way that I have kind of graduated in my golden years <laughs> to being able to be a lactation consultant, not only clinically and bedside, but also for the field as a whole. Yes, we look to Liz uh, for our ethics requirements, which we are required to have five hours, is it, yes. of uh, educational credits every time we have to recertify. And Liz is the queen of having awesome ethics webinars. Yeah. And she's one of the few people that can make that topic absolutely hysterical. So we're so glad to have you because you're so fun to listen to. But of all the things you do, I wanna talk a little bit more about the work that you do with families. Families who are going through divorce or separation uh -huh. and 
there's a breastfeeding baby involved. Oh yeah. Tell it, us a little bit about that. It is it is rough. Um, it, breastfeeding families may run into uh, uh, legal potholes, I call them, in, in, in a bunch of different areas. Uh, if you're going back to work uh, and you're in a great marriage, you might go back to a job where your boss is erroneously telling you you are not entitled to time to pump um, your milk during work. But that's a, a work law issue. Um, sometimes people are harassed because they are either pumping or breastfeeding. And again, that's not really a lactation issue. That's a harassment issue. But the ones that break my heart and the ones that are hard to work through our families that are going through a separation or a divorce or a visitation uh, issue and there are still children who are uh, coming to breast or chest to feed and there's now a discussion underway as to how many days the kid will spend with mom, how many days the kid will spend with dad and what happens if that child is still breastfeeding. That's gotta be rough. Yeah. And um, I, I'm surprised at the number of phone calls we get and it's, where do you send these people? So what would be their first step if they're in a situation like this? And maybe their own divorce lawyer doesn't know much about it. Well, that's just the problem is most lawyers don't know much about lactation and that's okay because they're being lawyers and most judges um, don't know a lot about breastfeeding and lactation and that's okay because they're being judges. But the thing that is so difficult is that when breastfeeding is still happening, it is very easy for the parent that is doing it to hyper-focus on it, and it is very easy for it to quickly become demonized, as I call it, by opposing counsel, the other uh, parent's lawyer, and even by the court itself. And all things being equal, even if the child breastfeeds for a long duration by U.S. standards, there are going to be many, many, many years of co-parenting that have to be decided and negotiated, and all of that happens in the beginning, or most effectively starts in the beginning. So if we have a breastfeeding parent thinking only about the breastfeeding part and not thinking about, well, what happens when my kid goes off to kindergarten or college? It's a, a lost opportunity for this family to really think about the best interests of the child. So how do, you, how do they demonize it? Well, there's a lot of talk about why don't you just give the baby formula? Why is it, if you're breastfeeding at night, what's the big deal? So you know, the mother's the, being blamed for this being a problem. Precisely. And those of us in lactation know precisely why you don't just swap out formula for breast milk any old you know time you want. So a lot of times in these family law situations, there's a lot of education that has to happen about just about how lactation works. And if the lactating parents lawyer doesn't know they need to know this they again have lost an opportunity to be an excellent advocate for their client right and if you think about every woman being so different where people said just pump and give a bottle and give them bottles well it could be an overnight visitation that could be three or four feedings it's not yes. so easy pulling together that type of milk no. volume in a short period of time or if she's not a great pumper you know we have plenty of people who are just not responding to the pumps appropriately. So, you know, there's so many layers uh, and I'm sure each case is individual. Could you give us an example of a case? Are we allowed to talk about that? You can, I'll talk about a case that has um, already happened and uh, you, you've cottoned to the uh, issue that is, of course, as lactation consultants, that's the first thing that pops into our mind, but there is a tremendous amount of effort that is goes into expressing milk and having it for your child even if you are going to be separated from your child during a work day for example so you have to 
pump milk and you have to contain the milk and you have to get enough milk and you have to respond to a pump as you mentioned and then you still got to feed your kid so you got to be breastfeeding along with all of this time that you're making extra right. milk so there's a tremendous amount of labor that goes into expressing milk not even getting into the whole issue of whether or not you've got a good pump if you can respond to the pump and so on you mentioned that the BRC gets lots of calls. Um, I get calls all of the time too, and people find their way to me because they Google up, you know, lawyers and lactation consultants, and they get to me. And frankly, I'm pretty good about saying to whoever calls, "Don't talk to me now. You have to send me to your lawyer," uh, because if I'm going to maintain my um, objectivity, if I'm hired to be an expert witness for you, you as the parent and I can't spend a lot of time. Um, talking about the case. I really need to go through the filter of your lawyer and I'm very good about offloading people. I and got, so you, you've you done that? Oh yes, I've done this several times, several different kinds of cases. And it, it in an, it's a totally legitimate um, direction that I'm sending the family in. And I have then been hired sometimes by those um, parents' lawyers. Uh, I got a call and there just something had me stay on the phone and this woman, you know, I answer my phone and I and this quiet voice, you know, says, you know, ma'am. Um, I say, yeah, are you Liz Brooks? Yes, I am. He said, well, ma'am, I'm, I'm having uh, a problem with my husband. He's filed for, for full custody of my baby. And I was just about to launch into my speech when she says, um, and my baby's breastfeeding and my baby's four days old. Oh, wow. And I thought, now... Just come on. I, I mean, I, just like all of, you know, the hair on the back of my neck went up. I've heard of many, many situations where overnight visitation has been requested when the baby's a handful of months old, maybe a handful of weeks old, but four days old. And the other reason I was super duper annoyed is I'm thinking to myself, I've had kids three times I've had a four day old baby. I, oh, I would not have been spending the time it clearly took her. To, to be on find the phone, you. on the computer, reading things, finding things out, and you know, finally making her way to me. All the while, now, she's got a four-day-old, and at the time I didn't know, but she also had a two-year-old toddler. Ugh. So, I, you know, I said, well, well now look, um, you know, you and I cannot spend a lot of time on the phone. What you have got to do is you have got to get your hands on a lawyer. And she said, well, ma'am, I have already done that. I said, you have? So apparently <laughs> In the four, four days, days, she's gotten a lawyer. She's found yeah, you. She's working hard. She found um, a legal, she was not working at the time. She found um, a legal services a program in the city where she lived. She already had herself lined up on a lawyer. And, and I said, okay, so here's the deal. You're going to have your lawyer contact me, and we're, we're going to figure something out, and we're going we're gonna to work with you, which I did. Um, her lawyer contacted me, and as the facts unfolded, she had a, a two-year-old and this newborn by the same guy. Um, they had split up after the toddler, had briefly reunited. She got pregnant with the, with the baby, but by the time the second baby was born, um, they, were they, were, they were, yeah, they were yep. apart again. And he lived in one state, she lived in another state. And he was a, a professional sports person in kind of a, a niche area. And he spent a lot of time traveling, not only to perform his sport, but he was also something of a coach and a mentor to others. 
And the parent who was taking care of the toddler at that point was the 75-year-old paternal grandfather. So there was just a whole oh. lot of stuff going on. This couple had never been officially married, um, uh, which is, it doesn't matter in most states, but sometimes if there is a marital arrangement, that will impact um, the decision that is made by the judge to create visitation rights. So what I did was I worked with the mother and her lawyer, and I prepared, um, I interviewed her and learned about what her situation was, how was the baby doing with breastfeeding, had there been any other issues with her older child. Please excuse Liz's dog in the background. Yeah, who That's was okay. just as mad as I was about this whole thing. And I prepared a report. So what the report contains, it was 27 pages, um, which seems like... Oh, a yeah. little report. Yeah, yeah, it seems like... That. But what I do in any report that I prepare is I lay out all of the the general information that that lawyers and judges usually don't know about breastfeeding, why it's important, how long it is recommended to people breastfeed, which is two years or more now. Both the American Academy of Pediatrics and the World Health Organization are aligned on that. I'm so glad the AAP moved it. Oh my right? goodness gracious, you're not kidding. Whether or not there are any kinds of difficulties going on, like does this parent have um, a problem, if, there, if a person has a problem with a pump, what that means in terms of being able to get excess milk and so on. Then I talk about the specific facts of the case. And then I also talk about, let's think about things like the labor for the mother. So in family court, when people say, oh, we're going to argue about visitation, it is just a matter of divvying up the, the days of the week. Well, no, it's not. Because if the, if the breastfeeding baby is with dad on Friday night and Saturday night, mom can't just turn off her breasts on Friday afternoon after the drop-off. The whole time that the baby is away, she needs to maintain pumping. Not, and, then, and she needs two days worth of milk exactly, before she gets exactly. there. And then when the baby comes back, she not only has to feed the baby, and the baby might be feeling very um, needy and wanting to nurse a lot, she still has to find more time to pump milk to have that stash to send the baby next time. And what about the impact on the baby? Oh, well, and that's the thing that my report also goes into. So we talk about... Again, most people think of breastfeeding and breast milk as just a food source. And those of us in lactation and in parenting and attachment know that it's much more. So there's some beautiful work that I um, can cite to that talks about the importance of, of, the, of any child being able to be with their constant familiar caring person. It could be the mother, it could be the father, it could be a grandparent, doesn't matter. It's whoever the kiddo is the most familiar with day in and day out. And altering that relationship, regardless of how the baby is being fed, can be very disruptive for the baby. Breastfeeding is a, a very easy way to manifest that caring relationship. So if we take a baby away from its primary caregiver... Especially at four days old. Yes. If we take a baby away from a primary caregiver who's also breastfeeding it, we've, we've done a double knock on the kiddo. And the research suggests that there can be um, lifelong impacts on the appropriate social development of that baby. Uh, now, asterisk. Um, of course, some people will say, well, I, you know, my kid's never breastfed and they've turned out okay. Yes, you're absolutely right. There's always going to be individual cases that we can cite to that prove to us that individuals and individual circumstances can give us any kind of a result. But a court is supposed to be examining the general best, best interests <laughs> of the child. And oftentimes these longer term impacts are disregarded by the judge when they're considering what they have to consider. 
Yeah, and you just think back. I mean, any age baby, four days old, they oh, want to be plastered to mom all the time. You know, six months old, they they know what's going on. And, you know, you're separating them when they may be snuggling and nursing up with with mom three times a night, you know, and what that impact is to stop having that. You remind me of one of my favorite mm -hmm. quotes from Cecilia Tamori, who's done a lot of research and advocacy. She's an anthropologist by training, but very active in um, lactation advocacy. And I listened to a webinar she gave and she said, quote, there is an individualist default when we're talking about baby care in the United States that doesn't appreciate the infant requirement of closeness to stay alive. Mm. So, you know, again, anthropologically, the fact that babies need to be with their primary care parent are assumed to be nursing whenever they want for two or three years. This gets lost in the shuffle of our hurly-burly of everyday USA yeah. um, society and culture. Well, the good news on that case that I was telling you about was that uh, it finally came to, to uh, family court when the baby was maybe four and a half or five months old. And again, the, the father was still asking for um, not only uh, f uh, f you know, full custody, but many opportunities for overnight minutes, uh, visits in the interim. And the judge <laughs> listened to the arguments and just basically, you know, just gave, gave this mother a slam dunk win. She said, oh, what, stop. We're not even gonna begin to talk about overnight visitation until this child is at least six months old. And we're not even gonna begin to talk about multi-day visitation until this baby is closer to the end of the year of development. And so, so the first um, uh, court decision for this family out of the gate was very favorable to this lactating mother. And she really truly felt in her heart like this baby was gonna be snatched from her arms. Yeah, um, and, and think about the first four months of this child's life and the stress that this mother is under. Precisely. Precisely. And the hormones in her milk from that stress. So, That's a whole nother podcast. So after that hearing, her, her lawyer came back around to me to, to call me and tell me what the result is. Because I, as the expert, um, oftentimes if I prepare a written report, I just give it to the lawyer, they submit it to the court, and I don't even find out how it ends. But she called me back um, to say that the report I had prepared had been, had been tremendously persuasive and that she noticed when... She, and I'll just brag on myself, you know, she, when she walked into the courtroom and saw opposing counsel, he was clearly in the middle of reading my report, but he had his, you know, his head, his forehead was down on both of his hands, like he was going, oh no. So I felt what like, about yes. So, uh, you know, I don't know if everybody reads those reports, but the nice thing about them is they give the, 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 the lawyers a nice, solid evidentiary record that they can always fall back on, even months and, and years to come, if they find um, other issues are starting to arise and how much time the parent who's not lactating spends with the parent of the baby of the parent who is lactating. Yeah, so this is why we're so thankful to have someone like you who just happened to be a lawyer and then become passionate about breastfeeding because who would know this stuff yep, other than someone like you? Well, and it's happening everywhere. There's just yep. an article two days ago from the Washington Post about a family down in Washington, D.C. where a breastfeeding mom is being ordered to use a bottle, ordered to, to give formula, which is all kinds of legal and civil rights wrong. You know, uh, well... I suppose we could have a discussion about some other areas, but customarily a judge and customarily um, uh, a doctor are not 
the ones who decide what a family does or what anyone does with their health. It's supposed to be a well-informed decision. And for a judge to come along and say, all right, I order you to give something to this child is not within their purview, uh, to my way of thinking, under any state constitution or the federal constitution. And yet, here she is. So oh. that's the thing about family courts is they're very individualized. Every state does things a little bit differently. That's why you have different marriage and different divorce rules in different states. And uh, judges in family court who often work um, under uh, privacy, which makes sense because we're talking about the rights of minors, uh, really have a lot of power and a lot of free reign within their own courtrooms. So you have to dance this very delicate um, tightrope where you, you don't want to overwhelm and slam um, the, the court with information, you know, implying you know, you're stupid and I'm smart and you should listen to me. And you also have to take into account, at least I do, um, I'm, an, I'm from Pennsylvania. You know, is some judge in Oregon going to want to listen to what some person from the East Coast says? Well, some of them don't. So mm. it's a judgment call on the part of the parent's uh, lawyer whether or not the words of somebody from another state are going to be valuable to the, to really? the case. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. that's interesting. I wouldn't think that to be true. So, but, but it looks like this person from the Washington Post didn't have no. a breastfeeding expert helping yeah. her lawyer out too much. No, even within the case, uh, the article, it says even her own lawyer has advised her to stop breastfeeding to oh. comply with the court order. Oh, oh, yeah, oh. It's oh. like, oh, mm. okay. And she says, why are they forcing me to stop breastfeeding? Isn't that her right, the baby's right? Isn't that in her best interest? To which I say, heck yes. Yeah, it is. And heck yes, but there you have it. So she is in a situation where she knows she's in the right, she knows she's doing the best for her baby, and she's still getting the short end of the stick. Jeez. So I tell families when they're facing this thing, um, you know, another angle I take when I'm discussing this with, with counsel is, you know, let's ask this parent who maybe has never had a night with this baby, even though it's their own baby, like, what are you going to do at 2 a.m.? When this baby starts to cry, like, have you? What have you done to get ready to parent a child that is accustomed to having a nursing parent or a breastfeeding parent pick them up in the middle of the night? Right. They may have never even lived with the child exactly. in some situations, exactly. and they don't even know what an evening with the baby is. is like. Which exactly those other... of us with children know how <laughs> crazy it is. <laughs> well, the other I'm angle that I suggest is that. Um, the other thing to think, to think about is many times you know, the family, the parents, when everything was hunky-dory, the parents said, you know, this is great. We want to breastfeed. It's the best thing for a baby. It's the best thing for our family. We love this idea of how we want to raise our baby. Why has that prior excellent parenting decision now been kicked to the side just because there is a divorce um, or a separation issue going on with the two grown-ups in the room? Yeah. So a lot of times uh, I think it's effective to argue to dad, well, why, you know, if this marriage was absolutely fabulous in this moment, would you be advocating for the use of formula for your baby? Well, no, because your prior excellent parenting decision was that this child should breastfeed. So if we really truly are considering the, quote, best interests of the child, close quote, then the... Uh, I think an examination can be made as to why are you so eager to use formula rather than demonizing the, the breastfeeding parents' decision to maintain doing the very thing which they earlier had decided to do and which we all know based on the science 
and the evidence is the best thing to do for the baby. Yeah, I found it interesting that they not only encouraged her to give a bottle, but actually told her to use formula. I know. It just makes me itchy, scratchy. <laughs> it was also interesting because buried in that same article, there was a quote from a, a spokesman from a very famous parent um, uh, support organization saying something like, she has fielded at least one call per year about breastfeeding amid custody of the students. And I'm like, well, why are you not picking up your phone? Because I'm getting, and of course, I'm going to get a disproportionate number because of my background. But I get emails and calls on this certainly one a week, maybe two a week. Use yep. of the BRC gets tons. Mm -hmm. So it is um, it, it is out there. I have a, a website and I have a blog on this very issue, which I tout only because at the bottom of the blog there are tons of active links to advocacy toolkits and information that can be used by anyone uh, seeking to advocate for themselves and their baby if they find they're in some kind of a, a dispute. Right now, my opening line what? is going to be get a lawyer, but even if you don't or you're trying to educate yourself or you're trying to educate your lawyer, those links will work. So my website is lizbrooksivclc.com, and if you Google that along with the word divorce, it will pop up that <laughs> blog right up. Liz the Brooks and divorce. Yeah, IB, Liz Brooks, IBCLC. <laughs> Breastfeeding, divorce, any of those there you go. There keywords. You go. So what is the most rewarding part of your job when you help families in this situation? Oh, empowering the parents. Yeah. I, you know, and that frankly is the most rewarding part of when I work with breastfeeding families yeah. clinically. You know, humans have been breastfeeding for many, many years. Humans have been um, advocating for themselves for many, many years. Sometimes you get stuck in a situation where you need somebody to help you get through those potholes. I call them Philadelphia-sized potholes sometimes. <laughs> but again, in that story I told you of the mom whose um, you know, four-and-a-half-month-old baby um, was, uh, to her great relief, now going to be in, in her arms every night for at least the next several months. Um, she... Uh, called me herself after it was over and with her with her lawyer's um, permission and it, it, it just you could hear the smile and the relief in her voice it was truly wonderful she's thanking me and I and I told her look no, thank you you were the true advocate for your baby to have found the the, the wisdom the wit the physical power energy to do the f numbers of phone calls and amount of research you must have had to do in those first four days is absolutely miraculous. So yeah. you're, you know, I was able to capitalize on what you started. Well, I'm sure there are a lot of parents that are thankful that you're in the world. I want to thank you for joining us on BRC's Feeding Frenzy. And this was such an interesting topic. And Maybe we'll hit you up another time with some ethics or some other oh, one of your been, big topics. I mean, thank you, Colette. This was wonderful to chat with you, and good luck to you in the, and your uh, wonderful podcast. Thank you. Take care. Thanks for listening to The Feeding Frenzy. The BRC is a nonprofit organization committed to providing expert clinical and educational breastfeeding services. Find out more about us at breastfeedingresourcecenter.org.